Hello and welcome to the second episode of Dishes and Dimes, a Toronto Raptors podcast led by a rotating cast of women. I wanted to start off by giving a huge thank you to everyone who followed us on social media so far and those who've listened to our first episode. Your support has honestly been overwhelming. On our very first episode last week, you had a chance to meet five of our co-hosts who are Sandy, Iman, Sidra, Yasmin, and Noor. And on today's episode, you'll get a chance to hear from the rest. My name is Mal, and I have Kelsey, Katie, and Sarah with me today. So we're going to start things off by sharing our origin stories, and hopefully this will give you a chance to learn a little bit more about us and how we ended up here. Like I said, my name is Mal, and I'm actually a really new fan. Uh, Growing up in the Maritimes, you're just so far away from any professional sports team, and it feels like people only cared about hockey, which never appealed to me. Uh, So while I played a ton of sports growing up, I never really got into following um, professional sports until I moved to Toronto in 2015. Uh, So at that point in time, uh, Zayn Malik had just left One Direction and it was honestly like a really dark time in my life and I felt like I had like lost the only thing that I'd ever loved. So one day in 2016, someone gave my coworker and I tickets to a Raptors game and I was like, okay, I loved basketball growing up. I played for like more than a decade Uh, and my coworker was a huge fan. So we went together and immediately I was like, okay, I love this and the game starts and then when I saw him I just kind of like stuck my arm out and pointed and I was like who is that and she was like oh yeah yeah so that's actually Corey Joseph um so he's from Toronto and and she starts like telling me about him and that was the moment everything changed and I was just like I would I would die for him like I felt like I wanted to do right by him and I just wanted to make him proud Uh, so from that point on I started watching like every single game I was showing up at Jurassic Park I was tweeting about it to nobody because I had like 200 followers Um, and it's kind of crazy because like there are two things about me that always surprise people and the first is that I only watched my first Raptors game less than four years ago Um, but people like say that I come across as someone who's been like a longtime fan and I guess that's you know that's the power of Corey Joseph Um, and then the other thing is just that I'm so old and people are always like wow I thought you were so much younger than you really are and honestly um, that's also the power of Corey Joseph Um, and also sunscreen like I wear sunscreen every day too but um, yeah you really can't underestimate the power of Kojo. Um, So I'm going to hand it off and uh, Kelsey's going to introduce herself. Hi, everyone. Um, So this is going to be kind of quick because my Raptors origin story, I actually have no idea where it started. I grew up in a house with four brothers, all playing uh, rep hockey. So there wasn't really a lot of time for basketball. And I remember watching casually. And while it consumes my life now and for the past six years or so, I don't really know when it transitioned from being a casual fan to an all-consuming basketball is life, the rest is just details type of situation. I remember watching, I think it was um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Larry Bird highlights in a restaurant one day and just being completely floored by just what they were able to do back in those basketball days compared to the way the game is played now. And I think seeing the difference between old school basketball And current basketball is kind of where I went, okay, you know what, this is for me. This is going to be my full-blown obsession. But other than that, honestly, I have have no Raptors um, 
no rapper's origin story. But I'm, I'm curious to hear Sarah's. So Sarah, what about you? Okay, so hi. Yeah, my origin story goes back to the very beginning of the Raptors' origins. I actually voted in the fan vote for the name. Um, didn't vote Raptors, thought it was terrible, corny. Of course, it's awesome. I think it's awesome now. I love it. But in those days, I guess I was too cool. Didn't vote Terriers, didn't vote Hogs, um, didn't, don't know what I voted for. But um, yeah, but I was a pretty casual fan, loved the Carter years. Um, and that whole Iverson Philly series in the playoffs when the shot broke our heart for the first time. And um, really loved Jerome Williams, the junkyard dog. I guess earlier that year, he had been traded from the Pistons and didn't wait for the team to even pick him up, arrange, make any arrangements for him. He uh, jumped in his car and flew down the 401 to get to Toronto as quickly as possible for his first game. So I just, and he had that spirit when he played, he was like diving for balls and really tough on D. So that was fun. But yeah, similar to Mal, I became a super fan kind of pretty late. My nephews got me into the Raptors when I moved back to the country around 2011, 12. And I took them to a game and like fell in love with it. It was super like the athleticism and what they do. And then the whole game ops, the whole thing was really awesome. I loved it. Um, but my super fandom actually started probably a few years after that, and I was unemployed and having a super, super hard time. I was actually in a major depression, um, wasn't working, was struggling through the days, trying to find work, trying to keep myself kind of going. And it was summertime, and I discovered Open Gym. And I'd been watching the Raptors a lot. Um, you know, it wasn't season at this point. But I fell for that old MLSC marketing because the whole story of the season juxtaposed with these awesome players. And we were in the We the North era at the time, and they had such compelling kind of gritty underdog guys, and the stories were really awesome. And then the next season started. Games are awesome. This team is so fun. And I'm getting to kind of know them through this awesome marketing technique. But really does, it can show you something real about these people if they want to show it to you and just really loved it and it was fun. I would go to games um, and eventually last year I discovered all of you and Raptors Twitter. So that just sort of added to the whole thing for me. It's kind of mainlining media and news and podcasts and watching every game for the last few years. And Katie, we really would love to hear your origin story. Yeah, I love just like waiting, waiting anticipatorily in the wings. Um, <laughs> So I voted in the same Toronto Star contest uh, to name the team that you did, but I 100% picked the Raptors, and I didn't think it was corny at all because I loved Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> like, loved, like, the fervor of everything kind of taking over. Um, I mean, when, when we did get the team, like, after the naming contest came, after the team started, I, there were, like, two things I used to look up in the paper every day when I was a kid, which was, like, the global weather maps, um, and trends and like temperatures of any city in the world and then NBA stats. And I had no sense of what the stats meant. Um, like in my house, like nobody was really at that time watching basketball. So I'd kind of make up and track what seemed progressive and who had improved. And I don't know, it was just like a very, I wasn't, I wasn't also like watching that many games. So it was kind of a, <laughs> I don't know. It was a very weird way to follow the team, but it made me just feel invested in something I didn't quite understand yet, but I could do it sort of privately. Um, I think 
for me, like the aesthetics obviously were very pleasing to me as a kid. There was something that felt immediately very tough about the team. Um, I mean, I played basketball in school at like a middling level, but what I loved about basketball then um, is what I still love about it now is that there's kind of an accessibility to it, whether it's like what's happening in the game itself or like by being able to watch so closely players as they're working, which I don't think you really find in a lot of other pro sports. I mean, after high school, I moved around a lot. Uh, I had this feeling of like needing to get away from the city. So when that happened, I kind of fell out with the team. I'd say it stopped following them as actively. I mean, I was kind of aware of it from afar, but I was, I feel like I was consciously putting some distance between myself and Toronto. And to do that also felt like taking a step away from the Raptors. Uh, I moved back into the into Toronto the summer of 2010. So the Raptors were still in the Colangelo and Bargnani years then, but um, they did have someone else uh, by the name of Amir Johnson. <laughs> And this kind of like, <laughs> these were games, like these years of games were games that you didn't really have to follow too closely because you already knew the end of the season outcome for the team. Like they weren't very impressive games. They weren't that fun of games to watch, but these were like the years of the Sprite Zone and you could go to a game for like $7 and it, you could kind of flit in and out very easily mm-hmm. of like fandom uh, and just like interest. It didn't feel like the stakes were that high. So it was kind of, it was like a time when I was also coming back to Toronto as like a city that had changed a lot. I was like rediscovering a lot of, a lot of things about it, finding new things that I loved about it. That kind of rhythm and the pace and the parameters of basketball, I find like there's a balance to it that I find very easy and soothing to watch. So for all of our stories, plus the host last week's stories and just like general fans and people I know that like followed a similar trajectory, like something happened when Colangelo got canned. And Ujiri came in and it just felt like something was starting. I think you can say this now retrospectively very easy. We we can because now we can see the arc of the wave and everything that happened. But being here then in that time when the team was starting to grow again and reshape and it just seemed like, okay, like there's like a kickstart and a spark to it. I felt like I was kind of getting back into the team as a choice. So I guess that's my loose origin story. That's our origin stories. That's uh, how we were born. That's how we were born into the Raptors fandom. Yeah, much like the Raptor who uh, came out of the egg in the Sky Dome when the team <laughs> when the team started. That's that's how we all came. So now that you maybe have a sense of knowing us a little bit better, we're gonna get down to the nitty gritty. We're gonna talk about basketball. We're gonna talk about game recaps. So we are recording this before the Spurs game. So you know, we're not going to talk about what hasn't happened yet. So we're going to start with the Atlanta Hawks, a Raptors win. Uh, the Raptors played the Hawks on the 20th. Uh, the Raptors won 122 to 117. Anyone off the jump have just like big takeaways from this game? So in the beginning, it looked like the game was kind of in our hands. We went on a 9-0 run to start. And then what should have been one of the easiest games to win ended up being one of the toughest this week. We started out, Kyle had a steal led to a Fred three, and then he made a pass down the exact middle of the court to Pascal Siakam, who was waiting baseline, for Pascal to do his signature spin move and put it in the hoop. And I just think it's so important to note that in order to even attempt that pass, you have to have extraordinary trust in your teammate. Even though Pascal hasn't been back that long, 
to see that Kyle was still trusting him to be able to complete that pass was so important. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I mean, I think like the pacing of this game, pretty amped and you got to kind of know that going against the Hawks and like Trey Young, you know, I did just look and like double take this, but Trey Young had 42 points. <laughs> he did. And he had that's 15 cool. assists to yeah. go with his 42 points. And yeah. I think that's why the game is, was so quick because Trey Young had 42 points, but he also had 15 assists. And then you have someone like Fred Van Vliet who had 20 points, but only two assists, which could be contributing to why Pascal only had 18 points. The Fred Van Vliet dribble drive offense. In some games, it works. In other games, it doesn't. And when you're playing a team like the Atlanta Hawks, who are showing so much resistance, a Fred Van Vliet dribble drive is not going to be successful. I mean, to start the second half, four consecutive turnovers, we're down eight. And playing against the team with the second worst record in the conference, that shouldn't be happening. But I will say, like, a nice kind of silver lining to that turnover point, Kelsey, is that that in terms of turnovers, the Raptors were 11.2, the Hawks uh, were 19.1. So I feel like, you know, turnovers have kind of been a problem for the Raptors, especially in like really pacey games like this. So I do take a measure of comfort that they that they got a handle on it, so to speak. Let's just go to a game that personally I thought was going to be a lot more exciting, but was pretty boring and like kind of sticky to start. The Sixers game on Wednesday so the Raptors did end up taking this game but it did not look like it was going to be that way at first it wasn't even that the Raptors came out disorganized and the Sixers were taking advantage of that like Neto like Raul Neto was very annoying uh Korkmaz was like extremely physical and annoying and like quite into flagrant territory but just I don't know he he was like hitting harder than he needed to there was one instance I think it was the first quarter where Ben Simmons kind of sent Marc Gasol flying almost into the camera area and he was holding his elbow. And I remember just holding my breath going, oh, no, we're not going to have Marc Gasol taken out by Ben Simmons. <laughs> and just like actual insult to injury. You know what I mean? Literally. It was it was a really sticky game. It seemed like the Raptors had trouble on switch defense. There was one instance where um, Kyle and OG were on Horford and Corkmus. And they were supposed to switch. And they both kind of got caught up in the middle, leaving Corkmus wide open for one of his many threes. But it's just, it seemed like a lot of miscommunication. And there was a lot of leaving shooters wide open. I mean, they had they had six threes in the first quarter. And most of them were uncontested. And just because you can leave Ben Simmons wide open from beyond, <laughs> beyond the arc does not mean you can leave the rest of the team wide open from beyond the arc. Yeah, Corkmus made four threes and it's weird to me because like he's that's kind of a prime example like you've seen this in the past with like this the outstanding example of this in my head always for how annoying and true it it was um was Doug McDermott and how like whatever team he was on at any given time he just like became the Raptors stopper but then like in his regular career I don't know Doug McDermott there's something there's something about guys that like really seem to come alive like just specifically against the Raptors are like, this is my moment to shine. And like, for me, Corkmans was that in this game. Yeah, the Raptors have spent so much time focused on stopping Simmons and stopping Embiid. And like, to an extent, Horford, but they forgot about all the other guys. Let's move on to uh, probably the most um, thrilling, uh, <laughs> I would say like challenging, uh, biggest ticket game of the week. The New York Knicks. So why was this game as close as it was when the Knicks are missing <laughs> RJ Barrett? Why? The Knicks are back, baby! <laughs> 
<laughs> Why are the Knicks out rebounding the Raptors? Rebounding is the only reason that the Knicks were kept in this game. They had 46 to the Raptors 31. At one point, Fred and Pascal were doubling Alfred Payton, leaving, <laughs> I think it was Julius Randle, op- wide open right under the basket. Yeah, the, uh, there's also like the offensive rebounding statistics of this game are extremely troubling, which is like kind of a stat, like it's a stat I like do love to pay close attention to and like mostly because the acronym of it is ORB uh, and it's like, it seems very mystical to me, but it's like kind of a middling stat. But in this game, the Raptors uh, were 13.5%. Some random guesses at what the Knicks had. Well, folks, it was 35%. It's just crazy. It's just like, it's crazy in general. And then when you just like look at the split between them, and then when you keep in mind, it's the New York Knicks. But you know what? Like one thing that I always find is like, you see those games, you're like, how can this be so close? And then you think of the Raptors and we love to do that. We love to like play at the the other team's level and not be as great or like not care about the game, not put enough into it. Like when I was at, I think it was a a Kings game earlier this year, like we almost lost to the Sacramento Kings. So I'm actually like, I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised because we do this. Like we don't go into them with the same energy when we're playing teams like that. That's, that's what I find. hundred percent. They were sloppy in the first quarter, right? You could tell they weren't taking it that seriously. And then it kind of later on, they had to. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, you know, to now to your point, Yes, the Raptors absolutely love to do this, like much to our frustration uh, as fans. It's also kind of like uh, end of the week road game. Don't you feel like they probably went out to celebrate uh, Pascal the night before? <laughs> <laughs> so you had a bit of an experience with this last week, but uh, the weekly dish is basically what it sounds like. It's just us riffing about something that happened this week. Um, I think... The big thing that was on on my mind and from what I've seen on a lot of other Raptors fans and just like league wide fans uh, is all star all star selections. I was kind Mm. of like waiting with a with a bated breath, I'd say, all week. And I actually have to say I was surprised. Mm. I was surprised it was uh, Siakam as a starter. Did anybody else feel that way? Absolutely. I I was surprised about other things as well. This was I feel like we're getting into new territory this year. It's not what is expected how do you mean I I don't know I just feel like in the last few years everyone that ended out on top you're like yeah I see like that makes sense and Mm -hmm. maybe they've been there a few times but like we have some really young guys who are now in starting lineup and I just Stackham wasn't there last year so I'm really surprised to see Trey there this year yeah I think I think it has a lot to do (laughs) with um, just like the format of voting right like if you're gonna do if you're going to do fan voting, it is, it's kind of interesting to see like, these are who fans gravitate to. And for the most part, they're like the younger, flashier players, like in some ways playing like a completely new style of basketball, which is like very exciting to me. Um, but it's interesting because it's like, you know, traditionally you, you kind of look at approaches to all-star games, or I feel like the approach has been more measured, more of this sense of like, who's earned it, like who's put the time in. And now it kind of seems to your point, Mal, like, totally. That's all at the window, which I'm actually okay with. I love it. It's more yeah. fun. Like, yeah. It's not boring. It's not exactly. It's it's interesting. It's different. I, I love it. Where do we think Lowry's going to end up? Do we think he's going to be a reserve? Yeah, 100%. He deserves it. He's having amazing numbers this year, back to like 20 points a game and all the assists that Lowry always gets and all the rebounds the shortest guy on the floor gets. Yeah, he'll vote. And I love that. I love that we know the coaches are probably going to vote him in because 
years ago, would you really thought coaches loved Kyle Lowry that much? I mean, I know I do, and he deserves it. And honestly, I just hope D Rose doesn't. No, I mean, like it's admittedly another. That's I'd say is like probably the biggest downfall of fan voting. The Derrick Roses of the world kind of are able to slip into it just because like he does have this like rabid to me very disproportionate fan base. <laughs> did you watch? Did you guys watch the the draft? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't see it last year. Fun. Oh yeah. my God! It was Giannis and LeBron really have great personalities and were ripping mm. off each other. And Giannis was calling LeBron out for tampering when he picked AD. Yeah. It was great. Like I, that sounds fun to me. Yeah, it was fun. I, it was super. Fun. I think it would be really cool if, like this year, they're like, okay, let's do like the Bachelor. Like you have to get your rose <laughs> from Giannis or LeBron or like America's Next Top Model. Like, like I think I think we could they could really do something with this. Like I think. Or RuPaul's Drag Race. And they can like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lip sync for their lives. <laughs> um, I did want to see if anyone had any thoughts about my like reason for living, I'd say, in February, which is the dunk contest. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. I have so many thoughts about the dunk contest. Not one of them related to dunking. Okay. The best part about the All-Star Weekend being in Chicago is that it's cold. The best part about it being cold is we get to see everyone not competing in the dunk contest sitting courtside in their winter outfits. Yes, this is Remember my favorite Remember when All-Star Weekend was in Toronto? How many incredible coats there were. Like Carl Anthony Towns, amazing. DeMarcus Cousins, amazing. Andrew Wiggins had that super shiny leather jacket, amazing. And then we get to see that all over again in Chicago. <laughs> I just want to see what everybody's wearing. No, I just want to know, like, who wore the really good coats in Toronto and who do you think are going to have the really, like, good coat game? Are we doing, like, a D'Angelo coat watch? Yeah. yeah. Do a coat watch. I mean, he won't be there, but I've been noticing that Rondé actually, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson has some pretty good coat game. One of the things we retweeted from Dishes and Dimes was uh, a woman that was kind of showing Raptors outfits, the Raptors as animals, and it was a hilarious post. I think uh, in in addition to coats, we're going to see, like, some very beautifully, uh, like, beautifully cut track suits and almost, like, one pieces are coming back. I have to say, like, hats off to Mello for this. His, like, cashmere suits that he's been wearing, like, turtleneck to track pants in, like, beautiful, like, jewel tones. I'd love to see a lot of this, like, cozy, cozy wear. Yeah, they deserve to be seen. And they should be in jumpsuits as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're up. We're pro jumpsuit. Yeah. Oh, 100%. This is a pro jumpsuit pod. We might all be wearing one. I mean, I'm not, but who's to say? Damn, I should have said I was. But you know, it's just dimes and jumpsuits. Yeah. Yeah. We're putting out a limited. Uh, we're gonna put out a jumpsuit. That's gonna be That's our first our item of merch. Is, is yeah. First yeah, merch jumpsuits. <laughs> Unisex jumpsuit. The one last thing I will say about the All Star Game, to Kelsey's point, was is what makes it like the All Star Game, and especially the dunk contest, and like in dunk contests I've seen in the past, like just like guys watching, like sprawled out of the side, like along with the mascots, weirdly. But there's like an extreme slumber party vibe to it. It's just like it's amazing. So we're talking about perfect outfits, but right now we're gonna do our five and dime segment, which is where we each pick something that is was absolutely perfect to us this week, and it doesn't have to be rappers related just basketball related or semi-related. 
And we're going to start with Mal. Mal, what's up? Mine is like almost self-explanatory, but I, I just have to say like Zion. Like I was going to do that too. <laughs> that's fine. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Like I love following the rookies. I love seeing like, what they actually end up doing in the NBA because you never, you really never know. So uh, it was just really sad to see like he missed most of the season and everyone was expecting so much and then people were speculating like oh is he even going to be good when he comes back and and making a lot of like judgments based on how he looks and so I just really love that he like came out there and was like yeah no you're all wrong and be quiet and it was amazing and that's all I have to say so I'll, Sarah I'll jump in here since I was all Zion too I was just amazed because they were cutting in from the end of the Raptors game into like Zion on the court Zion warming up there was a little feature of Zion before the game. Like, there's so much pressure on this kid. And I just thought, oh, you know, he's just coming off injury. He is a rookie. As amazing as Zion is, like, he's not going to be that great. And this is a lot of pressure. And then, of course, I tuned out of the game early. And I was like, this is a boring game. And, you know, Zion wasn't having the best first half. And that wasn't a criticism. I didn't think you should coming off of injury and all the rest, your first NBA game. And then, yeah, he exploded in the fourth quarter. Mine is also Zion, but mine is a specific <laughs> Zion move, which was like when he blocked uh, Malik Beasley. Like, oh. it's, like, I don't, I've watched that so many times now because it's like, it, it feels like, like physics doesn't matter anymore. When you watch that play, he like comes from, so far outside he's like jumping after the shot's been made and then it seems like when he's in the air he somehow uh jumps again just for like the height he's able to achieve and like the way he spikes the ball not even down but up because it lands like in the third row of the arena um there's just something like there's something so electric obviously that's all we're talking about about zion but then there's this like there's these kind of joy joyful and like incredible moves that he makes like that which you realize as you're watching, you're like, he is, this kid is like changing the actual like physics and physicality around the way that basketball is played. And I like, it's like, like he's a zeitgeist, you know, and we're here to, to watch it. He was incredible. Do you know what else is incredible? Trey Young's little brother. Oh, this is my <laughs> absolute perfection of the week. Trey Young's little brother, Timothy. First, he watched him score a career high 42 points on Monday in Atlanta, he had this look in his eye, like that is my idol. This is the greatest moment that has ever happened to me. And then a couple days later, Trey gets voted into the All-Star game. And we can all argue all day, does Trey Young be belong in the All-Star game yet? But to Timothy Young, there is no one else in the world that belongs in the All-Star game more than his brother. And it was just such an emotional moment. And I'm just so glad that we got to see it. And so glad that this little boy gets to watch his brother live out his dream. So we're reaching the end of our um, our podcast now. We're going to go into our final segment, our dime bag. We obviously can't answer all of the questions that you guys sent in because there were so many, but we are very thankful for that. So we're just going to start with a couple. Um, this one's from Tyra. If you were a Raptors rookie, who would you want your vet to be? And Sarah, I'm going to start with you for this one. I know your dishes and dimes ladies probably think I'm going to have a Kyle Lowry answer because I pretty much obsess about Kyle Lowry on Twitter. But no, I'm not picking him for this. I'm going with Fred Van Vliet. If I, if I was a rookie, I mean, what can I say about Fred? I mean, obviously he's smart and he's like a coach and he's picking out plays and he knows what he's doing and he's calm and there's just so much great about him. Um, and all of that was kind of reinforced for me. There's this incredible interview Howard Beck did with 
Fred This Week that's on his Full 48 podcast. I shouldn't probably be plugging Howard Beck, but it's. I think everyone should go listen to it. And all my thoughts about Fred were reinforced from that. He's really thoughtful and he's intentional about his who he is as a person and a player. He knows he's a good leader and he tries to cultivate that. He picks his moment to speak up and give advice and, you know, he which is really smart leadership. He, basically, he has emotional intelligence. And I love that about him. And um, to me, he would be like a great, you know, mentor, the guy that you want to go to for basketball advice, but you know, will be thoughtful and considerate on top of it. And let's be honest, I love Kyle Lowry, but he scares me a little bit. I don't I don't know if I would want to go to him with my uh, stresses or my challenges. Uh, watching that's him play. exactly why he is my bet. Oh, okay. <laughs> go for it. I'll lead into you, Katie. Uh, no, that's it. He's like, <laughs> Kyle Lowry's the whole package because I do think, uh, like aside from anything you could say he would teach you on court, which is everything, he's gotten so smart in terms of like his career off court and like what it means to, I don't know, like his like, um, his like business acumen, I'd say like off the court, just in terms of like how to have longevity in the league in a lot of different ways. Uh, just in, even in terms in the way that like once you saw Demar leave, like the way that he stepped up as a as a role model on court and off. Uh, I just think like he's incredibly smart, like he's incredibly intelligent, and there's like no you, nothing you couldn't learn from him. He, and like the fact that he does he he is a little intimidating, I think makes him even more of a worthwhile uh, vet. So from which raptor would you want as your vet to which raptor are you most like? Which is a question from Six Dog. Mal, which Raptor are you most like? Okay, I think obviously Kyle Lowry. And part of that is that he's two weeks older than me. So we're really close in age. We're both born in the same year. Uh, and we're both Aries. And I think we do give really huge Aries energy. <laughs> People always say to me, like, they think that by my personality online, they would they thought that I'd be taller. And I feel like Kyle Lowry's the same way. He just <laughs> acts so much taller than he is. He and you're really surprised about, like, what he can pull off. So I think just in that way. And then just, you know, like, him being able to, like, go back and forth between, like, being really fun and making people comfortable, but also calling the shots and uh, being, like, a bit of an outspoken leader and, and be getting really serious when you need to. That is very me i'm him too no shock i'm not going to talk probably a lot for the others but i love kyle and i am also a bit prickly um, but it covers up sensitivity and vulnerability he questions authority that's 100 percent me he's super smart i'm so i'm so um modest because i am also super smart he's a bulldog here i am big upping myself but Kelsey, I want to know who you who you'd pick. So 2020 has kind of been the year that my, you know, basketball writing and stuff career has kind of taken off. And I kind of just look around like, how the hell did I get here? So I think in that sense, I'm a little bit of Pascal <laughs> because I'm still, you know, struggling with the imposter syndrome, but going, OK, this is my life now. What about you, no. Katie? Are you uh, Greg Monroe? No, Greg, Greg Monroe's eyes are too sad. I don't have such like depth. I don't have such depth in my eyes. I don't know. Like honest good days, I'm like, yeah, sure, I could be Kyle Lowry, but if I'm being honest, probably most days it's Marcus All. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But in terms of just like reacting to life sometimes with uh, abject confusion. All you like want to do is dig in your garden and drink wine on a boat on a bus. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. Relate yeah. to that and look out for my friends. <laughs> yeah, please don't fall off the back of the bus. 
<laughs> so we actually have a question about free agency in uh, 2020 from Tyler Scott Ball. Everyone is talking about the 2021 free agent class and Giannis in particular, but are there any players that are set to hit the market this summer that pique your interest? Okay, I'll go first, Mal. <laughs> um, so I think what's important to note for the 2021 or so the 2020 uh, free agent class is that our books are pretty much clean. I mean, obviously, Stanley Johnson, if we don't trade him by then, is going to opt in to the final year of his contract with us, which is fully guaranteed. But then we also have Gasol, Ibaka, Fred, Rondé, Chris Boucher, Malcolm Miller, and our two-way guys could all be coming off the book. This Giannis thing is really going to come to fruition. I think what will be important for 2020 is to kind of buy you know, tradable pieces, low value, so that we have maximum space on our books for 2021. On that note, Giannis's brother, Costas, is available <laughs> for very cheap during 2020. So if we want to get him in and then have him just wait a year for his brother to come, that's probably a pretty good uh, strategy. I'd say uh, let's first look here at home and secure uh, Fred VanVleet. But at, like, no, not really. Like, there's guys I like. There's guys I like coming up. Like, I like Tim Hardaway Jr. a lot. Like, I think he has kind of exploded in, in Dallas. Um, there's, like, energy guys. There's guys I hate, uh, like Gordon Hayward. Please stay away from the Raptors. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think there's no major, like, there's some guys to secure. And there's some, like, to your point, Kelsey, like, there's some things to figure out, like, money-wise, if you're going to, like, look ahead and, like, play the long game. But no, I think we can cool our jets a little bit uh, in 2020. Protecting or looking after the guys already on the team. Like, what do we feel about Mark Gasol? Do they try to re-sign him on a one-year kind of sweet deal like Kyle got? Like, would he take that? Would we want him? What about Serge? I don't know. Everyone seems to assume they're gone, but are they really? Should they really be? They shouldn't be, but I don't think you can really keep both. Who would be your priority? Well, I can't answer this question because it hurts me too much. So we have a question, um, kind of going back to our all-star fit, from Sean Treemstra. Katie, you called into Will Lou's live show and talked about Serge Ibaka leading the league in outfits. Who are your favorite and least favorite dressers in the NBA? I'm going to get mine off quick, Kelsey, because I want to leave a lot of room for you. And I also want to leave room for Mal, too. Right away, PJ Tucker. Come on. He's human perfection. Yeah, there's like no, you can't improve upon PJ Tucker. The end. But the funny thing is, okay, PJ Tucker, obviously the best dressed in the entire NBA. No contest. The worst dressed in the NBA is his teammate, Russell Westbrook. And this is a hill that I will die on. My second worst is Kelly Oubre Jr. because it looks like a Hot Topic barfed on a millionaire. Wow. I am like waiting right by my milk phone for you to say like a certain person and just I just want to jump on it. So I'm just like, I'm going to hold back. But is there anyone oh, else you need to say? that's the end of my list. That's the end? Yeah. I feel like a lot of people say uh, Kyle Kuzma and he's taking risks and I like what he's doing and it's weird and but it's fun and who cares and also like sometimes he kind of takes like a page out of like the Harry Styles book and I think that's cool and there's like a bit of like a feminine flair to some of the things he wears I'm like that's good I like that I want to see him in a jumpsuit I think mm -hmm. we should send him <laughs> one of our jumpsuits like I like that he just does what he wants. Like, I, I think that's cool. I like that. But Kuz no like, one agrees with me. No, I agree with you. Kuz, especially this year, I feel like he's, like, flexing some contemporary art world fits, which, like, that's cool. And he's just owning it. Like, that's the big thing is you 
doesn't care what you have to say about it. He's not doing it for you. He's doing it for him. Mm-hmm. That is perfect. So, Mal, you finished that one. I'm going to give you the final question. If you had to pick one raptor to be your child's first name, which of the raptor's names would you pick? So I've done this twice. Um, I have my oldest son, Damon, is 10. Obviously, sharing a name with Damon Stoudemire. My youngest son is three, whose name is Kawhi. And then... My daughter in the middle shares a name with um, Violet Palmer, who was the first female NBA referee. So I already have three basketball names, but baby names are my passion next to dunk contest outfits. And I think a little baby Masai or a little baby Pascal or a little baby Giannis just toddling around would be probably the cutest thing ever. Mal, your turn. Oh my gosh, this is so much pressure because like you literally just talked about how you actually have children (laughs) named after them. So it's like, well, how can I even contribute anything of value here? Mine's like kind of corny and totally unrelated to anything that is like basketball or personality or anything. But I was just, I just thought Malcolm, because then both of our names would start with Mal and we'd be like, and everyone would call us like Mal Mal and like just completely unrelated. And then also when I looked at the other first names, like on their own, it's just not for me. But if we were going wider NBA, I've always said I was going to name um, my if I had daughters, I was going to name them Corey and Kyrie after Corey Joseph and Kyrie Irving. So uh, I've, I've already, I've always thought of that. But for the Raptors, I think I, I have to go with Malcolm. I mean, that's a cute name for like a kid, but then also when they grow up, because you have to think of both of those things. Like I can't stop thinking about Bradley Beal. I'm like, why do you go by Bradley? Like you're a grown man. You're Brad now. Don't do this. So I'm really trying to think of like longevity here. So I think that takes us to the end of episode two. Again, thanks for tuning in to Dishes and Dimes podcast and supporting us in so many ways. We really appreciate your questions and welcome your feedback. You can stay connected with us on Twitter at Dishes Dimes Pod and we'll see you again next week.